0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm glad you're with us this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online today. Thanks for being with us at New Life. We're grateful you're a part of the family. We want you to engage in the gathering. So please make sure you make some comments um, on the comment section. Uh, Let us know you're with us. We value your presence and you're a part of the kingdom of God with us at the outpost known as New Life Church. We're glad that you're with us, those of you who are with us live today. I want to wish a very happy anniversary to the Allens, John and Kim. How, How many years is it? 23 years, 23 years, Mary. That's exciting. Amen. Happy anniversary. As is tradition at New Life, we ask for the anniversary couple to come up on the stage and do a quick dance, and we're gonna, I'll step, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. Yeah, look, at Kim's already. John's like, it's not gonna happen, all right? Okay, well, we're, happy anniversary, guys. Praise the Lord, glad you're here. I also wanna uh, give a, a shout out, Ed. Um, I see you back there, and I'm glad you're here. And your wife, Barbara, we are praying for her. We are trusting that God is gonna heal her and strengthen her. He's come through before, he'll come through again, amen. amen. We stretch your hand out right now toward Ed. Would you do that, everybody? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just ask for a blessing upon Barbara. Lord, we stand in the gap for this dear saint. We ask God that you'd strengthen her, heal her, deliver her, encourage her. May she feel the warmth of the healing balm of Gilead being applied to her even now as we agree together, God, as any two touching one thing. Strengthen this saint of God. God, I pray that you'd love her and encourage her. And God, may a miracle take place at 1027 a.m. on this day In time, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, those of you that have preschool children, I want to honor you. My wife and I had the privilege, the distinct privilege, of watching our two grandchildren this weekend. Kyra and Matt, our second daughter, and her husband celebrated five years of marriage this weekend. So we're excited for them. Yeah, that's good for them. That means we get the blessing of having their children for the weekend, which has been great. But I realize. I thought I still had it. Um, um, I'm realizing that maybe I don't quite have what I thought I had. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to have l- little ones. It takes a lot of energy to, and we've had them j- only since Friday. You, it, we. It, it's, only been, it's only been like 48 hours, but it feels like it's been a little bit longer than that. And so what I wanna do is just give honor right now. I did this at the last campus, I'm gonna do this all week, weekend long at the other campus. I, I want you to know, I honor you. If you have preschool children or if you have small kids or you wrangled your little munchkins, your little wonderful children to get them to come to church and it was a challenge, listen, you're here, you made it, you did it, we honor you. Congratulations, way to go. Yes, you're at church today, praise the Lord. Well, my name is Troy, one of the pastors here at New Life. We're in a, a, a series. It's okay if you missed the first week, um, but we're in a three-part message series. And this is part number two of a message series that I really do believe can help you. It's called Outrageous Prayers. Last week, we challenged you to pray an outrageous prayer. And what we're doing is we're giving you three. Now, we could be going on for the rest of the year with this series of outrageous prayers that were prayed in the word of God but we've decided we're just gonna hone this into three prayers we want you to pray. And, and you're like, why are we doing this? Well, here's the deal, let me map it for you briefly. We are gonna spend three weeks on outrageous prayers, followed by a couple of very special weekends that have some themes to them that you're gonna enjoy, all of which are preambles to the four, or the 15th of August. The 15th of August is when we launch the story is when we launch this 31-week journey chronologically through the entire Bible, where a lot of churches and ministries are deciding they're going to, and I get it, they're going to kind of focus in a little bit more and try to make the series shorter because, you know, people don't come to church very often, and we don't want people to feel lost. We're not doing that. We're expanding, going an entire school year all the way through Easter, and we'd like you to not miss a single week as we go through the Bible chronologically together. We can't cover it all in 31 weeks. I don't know that we could cover it all in 31 years, but we're going to go Chronologically, the main key themed stories throughout the Bible, and you're gonna see a common thread. You're gonna discover there's the upper story of God's Word and the lower story of where we live. And there is a divine intersection, a beautiful collision that takes place between the two. We're gonna see ourselves in the story we want you to get excited about this and be a part of it pastor Trin's going to explain some other ways you can be a part of this as we go on in our gatherings together but today is part number two and last week i explained to you that this series has the potential of offering you some anchor messages. And it doesn't matter if you're a, a teenager fixing to go in your senior year, or advance in high school, it, or, or continue. I, you know, I'm, I listen, to Caitlin, I remember you when you were in Hydrograss, right? I, and I remember, so it doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, how seasoned we are, how mature, immature we are. This is an opportunity to be an anchor message for you. And then an anchor message has nothing to do about the speaker. There are many, many anchor messages in my life that I can't really remember who preached him. You don't need to remember who taught it. You just need to know, how can this impact me and anchor me in my walk with God? This message, this series of messages has the potential for that. Why? Not because of what's said, but because of what you would do, how you apply, how you apply the message. This could be really big for you. Last week, we talked about, um, we, we said, God, search me. And we prayed this prayer found in, in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. We said, search me, God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we challenge you. I even suggested, leave your Bible open on your pillow and maybe pray that before you go to bed and pray that when you get up in the morning. I saw several of you posting it on Facebook, and I hope that's a reflection of what you've really been praying, but I'm really proud of you. I got a few emails this week of people saying, man, this has been really powerful for me. What you're doing is you're saying, God, shine a high beam halogen on my soul look deep into the dark crevices of my life, search me, God, and then help me to become more, more like you. Now, next week's message, oh, it's going to be, we had to bring out the big guns for next week. Next week, Pastor Trinity is going to teach this message, and it is going to be incredible. This is a message that I believe could be an anchor message for you more than any other message. You can't miss Listen, you online, you can't miss next Sunday. You've got to be here for this. But today, a little bit of bad news for you. You came on a day that is the most dangerous, most difficult prayer to pray. It is absolutely, without a doubt in my mind, with no question whatsoever, divinely orchestrated of God, that you're here today because you're fixing to hear something that's going to hurt. Hmm, great. Great of all days to come to church <laughs> so I want to warn you right up front some of you many of you will not like this prayer um many of you will refuse to pray this prayer and and it's okay you're still loved you're still welcome and believe it or not if you don't pray this prayer you're still saved if you know Jesus this is the next level prayer many of you this is it, this is not a common prayer this is not a feel-good prayer this is a prayer that is not consistent with the god will always make your life better type of christianity that some people enjoy this is a prayer though however that has the potential to open up your heart to the work of god in such a way that it can forever change your life this is not hyperbole this is I'm, i'm as serious as a heart attack The prayer that I'm going to ask you to consider praying is simply this prayer. God, break me. God, break me. Now I want you to think about it. Look at it. God, break me. This is an outrageous prayer. My first real experience that I can remember in ministry about this prayer and praying this prayer happened to me um, in the late 90s. And some of you are like, oh, we're going all retro as well. The late 90s. So in the late 90s, um, uh, my wife and I, in 1998, we were experiencing kind of a little bit of a high. Our children were all born, thank the Lord. Uh, We were at a place in our lives as associate pastors at a decent-sized church in the Midwest in in Neosho, Missouri. God was moving. We were financially better than we'd ever been in our lives before. We had security. Um, uh, My job was enjoyable and fun. Uh, we were actually talking to uh, a, a, a contractor about building a house. It would have been our dream home, had a wraparound porch and the dormers and on a, about a half an acre of land. Oh, doesn't that sound amazing? In California, that's, that's about $2 million, right? But, but there it was about $97,000. So anyway, whatever. Yeah, the times change. So we, we, were, we were like, this is it. This is going to be great. And then we felt the stirring of the Lord. And we both agreed that it was, it was time for us um, to take a new challenge, a new season in our lives. And so we um, found out that there was a church about 30 miles from our hometown where high school sweethearts met each other in high school and uh, loved each other ever since. And uh, so we were now six hours or so away from our hometown and never really desired to go home because there wasn't really a lot for us there. Except we wanted some of our relatives to come to know Jesus. And so we, we, we talked to the district about this church that they were gonna close. Um, the church had uh, seven people in it. Um, and when our family of six arrived, it grew to 13. So for one week in time, we were the fastest growing church in America. It was amazing, right? Per capita-wise, percentage-wise, it was amazing. We should have been on the front cover of Church Growth Magazine or something, I'm not sure, but we weren't, I feel slighted. Um, and so we, we, we got to this church and, and uh, the Lord started moving and uh they didn't end up closing the church uh so it, it began growing and god was blessing and we work on our tails off and trying to encourage people to come to know christ and to come to the church we having a decent time our kids were enjoying being in ministry i'm not going to tell you it wasn't a lot of work there went a lot of tears there wasn't a lot of stress there was all of that stuff involved but about three years into the journey the district's like whoa things are going good here how about we invest a little bit into troy and see if we can make it go any better So they wanted to send me to what's called the the National Leadership Institute. Um, And they said, we'll pay all your expenses. You can go to this thing. It's down several hours away. You drive there and you get to stay there and you get to go to this National Leadership Institute. That's no, okay. The reason I'm remembering this is because I was cleaning my cupboard out behind my desk this week, and I found my certificate to the National Leadership Institute. Check that out. That was on a dot matrix printer. It's really cool. Um, uh, it has my name on it, and I put it in a $1 frame from the dollar store. And, and, um, but this proves that I was at the National Leadership Institute. Now, I'm not devaluing this. I'm just saying it brought up memories in me. There's a gentleman at the national, listen, first of all, I wasn't there. It was also known as, so AKA, the National Leadership Institute, AKA Church Planters Boot Camp. It was intended for people who were planting churches to go to this. Well, they sent me because I was revitalizing a 75-year-old church. But everybody else, most of the people that were there, were there because they were planting churches. I didn't even understand what planting a church meant. You plant a flower. I don't know what you plant. Um, and then I understood, well, it's starting something that has never been started before. So I'm at this Church Planters Boot Camp, this National Leadership Institute. It's this long week. It's actually a little over a week, about ten days of classes. Starts early in the morning, six thirty or so, with prayer, and then you're in classes from seven thirty or so until five thirty in the evening. And then you've got these group experiences you do in the evenings, and it's just absolutely exhausting. You've got all this this lectures and role playing and strategizing and vision casting and prayer. It's wonderful, okay, but it's tiring. I found myself at one point sitting at a table for eight, a round table for eight. It was me, six other guys, one gal um, that were planting churches and then there was another gentleman that was there. His name was Ron McManus, the president of the National Leadership Institute. So he's like at that season in our lives, he was like a big name. So I'm this 20-something guy, I'm sitting at this table with Dr. Ron McManus and these other people who were church planners. And I'm just enjoying this, trying to be like really quiet. I know it's not like you think of me, but at that point, I was just embarrassed to sit there because I just didn't know I was gonna say anything stupid. Um, And at one point, Dr. McManus looked at me and it felt like he was looking into my soul. And he said to me, he said, when you plant your church, I promise you this, God will break you. And I thought, well, (laughs) I'm not going to tell him, but I'm not planting a church. I'm here because I'm revitalizing a church. I'm just, I have no church planting desire. Do you know what that was at the time? I'm not going to be planting a church. When you plant your church, God will break you. Little did I know... Then in three short years, we would, our season there in Iowa would be done. We'd be called to pastor church in the mountains area up in, in, in Lassen County, in Susanville, California, for a period of about seven years. And in 10 short years from the time he said that, we would be living in Lathrop, California as church planters. How many of you would love to hear somebody tell you the encouraging words, the Barnabas spirit, God will break you so we started the journey in 2011 and we hit road bump after road bump an obstacle after obstacle that i could spend hours and hours talking to you about we also experienced miracle after miracle which i like to talk about more than the other but we hit pothole y'all know what i'm talking about right pothole after pothole after pothole hindrance after hindrance struggle after struggle it was really really hard and and I remembered I didn't remember who said it until I found the certificate I'm like oh that's where I remember dr. McManus said it but I remembered the words over the years God will break you I also remember thinking from time to time am I broken yet am I broken yet it sure feels like I'm broken and then it feels like another sucker punch am I broken yet And finally, I came to the conclusion that I'll know when I'm broken, when I'm broken. Apparently, I'm not broken yet because there's more breaking to do. It's an outrageous prayer. God, break me. Of course, nobody can know the blessings or imagine the intimacy that you have with God on the other side of the pain that this prayer brings. God, break me so here's the big ask right up front big ask i would like to challenge you and ask you to consider praying this prayer in a very outrageous manner this week and in the weeks to come god break me now not all of you will and you don't have to but i hope you'll be you'll consider giving god permission to do the deep work in your life god break me and so to study this today we're going to look at two stories in, in the Bible, and as we look at these two stories in the Bible, the first one, they're really cool because they're back-to-back, and they both have powerful message to them, They're kind of side-by-side. We're going to parallel these stories. There's one story immediately followed by the other story, and the first story deals with a prostitute. It's important as you read the stories in the Bible to see yourself in the story, to, to, not just see yourself as the main character in the story, but maybe as a sub-character in the story. See it through their lens. What is God trying to teach me through this, this historical uh, teaching, the story that is being told by, uh, through the vantage point of one of the disciples? In this case, the vantage point of the disciple is the disciple Mark. And so we want to get into the mind, in this case, of what this woman, this prostitute, uh, would have been thinking, what it would have been like for her. Because nobody wanted to be a prostitute in the first century. In fact, nobody wants to be a prostitute today. Nobody in the history of mankind ever said, "Eh, really hope by the time I'm 21, I can be in the top 10% of all prostitutes in my city. Nobody ever said that. If you were a prostitute, you were hated, you were despised, and you felt full of shame. So nobody knows really what led this woman to choose this career. Maybe she was a, uh, a, it was a difficult time for her financially. Maybe she had children that she had to care for, probably by herself. She had to pay the bills. Maybe she was abused by men and she knew nothing else. Whatever it was, she was hated by every woman and she was used by many different men. She was full of shame. So you're seeing it through her eyes. And one day she meets this man who, Who treats her differently maybe for the first time in her life by a male she was shown honor she was shown respect she was treated with dignity and he loved her appropriately it so transformed this woman that she wanted to give him praise wanted to worship him in the most sacrificial way that she could ever imagine her extravagant act of worship completely confused everybody else in the story. So I'm gonna read to you, as it'll be up on the screen, I'm gonna read to you just a little bit of the story. Mark chapter 14, verse number three. While he was in Bethany, he is Jesus, the rabbi. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table, get this, in the home of a man known as Simon, the leper. So he's in the home of a leper. How many all know you don't, not only do you not touch a leper, you don't go in their home, right? Because it's like the most highly contagious skin disease that there is that will kill you, eat you up. In the home of a leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure gnar. So you got Jesus, this rabbi, in the home of this leper, and a prostitute approaches him. I'm going there. Sounds like a joke. So uh, a rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute walk. I'm just. It's what it sounds like to me as I read this thing. So I'm going to get back to the Bible again. I apologize. You've got this rabbi, this leper, and this prostitute in this house. And who else is there? The disciples. The other 11 disciples of Jesus are there. See, this house is pretty full. And this woman comes with this very expensive Jar of perfume. Now before we go on, let's talk about the perfume for just a second. Boy, it was fragrant. This perfume was so valuable that later on the gospels, the other gospels, we discover that it was worth about one year's wages. So if one year's wage, like today, that'd be what fifty thousand, let's say. I don't know, some of you that's high, some of you that's low, that's fifty thousand dollars. That's, that's an expense how many all you know, that's expensive? That's not just Chanel, that's like Chanel on steroids, right? That's like really expensive perfume. And, and we find out um, that she walks in, at a year's worth of wages in this one jar. Why was it valuable? Probably because it was so rare, difficult to come by. Now, in that culture, as I did some research, ordinary women did not wear scents or perfumes then. It was just too expensive. And so when you walked by somebody who had a scent on, it was usually their billboard. It was their calling card. And so when you smelled the scent, it was an invitation to utilize their services. It was prostitutes' calling card. And uh, somebody uh, walking by, somebody with, with perfume on would, would be like, oh, I see you're sending me a message. The message is that you are available. It was very expensive. It was a year's worth of wages. It was essentially the source of her income. It drew in business. So it was like um, like a Facebook advertising or a billboard or, or flyers or an ad in the yellow pages, if they still do that. It's, it was her way of advertising for her business this very expensive perfume in the next part of the verse it says what she did with it if you put that verse back up again verse number three it says she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head it says it says that she i don't know how else to illustrate this but she she broke she broke the jar And then it says she took the perfume and it says that she she poured it on his head. So she broke and she poured. She broke and she poured. These are two very, very important words. Because in this story, there were some people that were freaking out in the house. Now, who did I tell you is in the house? Je- you know, we got the, you got the rabbi, the leper, and you've got the prostitute, right? But you've also got the disciples were all there. So the people that were getting hacked off in the house were the disciples. Because this woman broke it, and then it says that she didn't just break it, but she also poured it. And she broke it, and when she poured it, the- no! How foolish are you, they're thinking. They probably said something or went, mm-hmm. Because they're thinking that's $50,000 woman. Put a little drop on his head for heaven's sakes and give us the rest of it. Do you know how we could use that, those resources? They even went to guilt. Do you know how many poor people we could feed with that money? Isn't it interesting that when somebody else wants their way, in our lives they will find any way they can to manipulate us into changing our trajectory that's what these disciples were doing in their lives but this act of worship was more extravagant than we can even imagine essentially this woman was saying jesus i'm giving you my entire life i'm giving you the most valuable possession that i have this represents my past and this represents my future because without this i'm no longer in this category of employment i'm going to choose a new vocation this simple act of worship is changing my future in other words i'm leaving my past behind i'm giving my future source of income my life savings away Jesus you have loved he hadn't even gone to the cross yet Jesus you have loved me so much that I will break open the most valuable possession that I have it represents my livelihood I will break it and I will pour it all out in a selfless extravagant moment of worship She broke, and she poured. That's the first story. The second story it's right after the first story in the same book of the Bible. In this story, Jesus is having a meal. He's having a meal with his disciples. It's just a few hours before he's going to go through the most gruesome experience of his life before he goes to the cross at, at Calvary, and he's having this meal with his closest friends, the same friends that were in the house of Simon the leper, that watched the woman break and pour, and he knows he's coming to the end. And this is, this is how Mark tells the story in Mark 14, 22, 23, and 24. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Jesus was going to be broken and poured. My body is broken for you. My blood is poured out for you. He broke and poured. I'm giving you everything that I have. Another example of, of broken and poured. Jesus broke and he poured. It's, it's a great visual in the same chapter of the same book of the Holy Bible. Two different vantage points of broken and poured. Now. Each of the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were with Jesus. They all wrote the same story. But you know how you can be sitting over there, Becky, and you can be sitting over there, Kim, and you see the same story but from different vantage points. So they're telling the same story from different vantage points. And some of them are picking up on words that maybe Jesus said that others are like, well, I never really, that wasn't the emphasis that I picked up on. But it doesn't mean he didn't say it. So, we have an account from Luke's gospel. Same story. That he, he said it almost exactly the same way that Mark did. But he picked up on something that Mark didn't pick up on in Mark's writing. This is what Luke said in Luke 22, verse number 19. He took the bread, and he gave thanks. He broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Whoa. Luke says it this way, but Mark didn't put these words in there. So Luke picked up on something even deeper. Do this in remembrance of me. Um. This. What is this? Do this in remembrance of me. I, have a que- I had a question, I had the question, what is, what is this? Most scholars and you and I, if you've been in church for any little bit amount of time, um, or you've visited church from time to time, would agree that the this is communion, the Lord's Supper. Um, it is do this, you know, the breaking of the bread, and so we eat the wafer, and the drinking of the, of, the, of, the, of the blood, which is the juice, and it's all symbolic, and it represents Jesus' death until he comes. Do this in remembrance of me. But, and I agree with this, many scholars would say this is more than just that, and, and, and I'm with them. This, what does this mean? Well, we certainly want to remember, and I'm not in any way demeaning communion or the Lord's Supper, but this is more than just that. It could also mean that this is, he was broken and he poured out his life and we should be too. Do this, be broken. Do this pour your life out so it's not just remembering but the this is more than that the bible clearly tells us that we are to die to ourselves daily die to ourselves daily why so that we can live for the glory of god when the gospels say do this what if jesus was saying don't just do the act of communion to remember, although we should, as often as it's offered to you. But, but may you also be broken. May you also be poured out. Even Paul said, I am poured out like a drink offering, giving everything I have for God's glory. Broken and poured. Broken and poured. Now, I don't know anybody that doesn't want their life to count. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be used by God in whatever way that would be. In fact, who in here would simply say, I would like for God to use me and my life to count? Would you just kind of slip up your hand? Good, good, good. We're all kind of on the same page. But here's what I know. That being used by God, another way of saying it is being poured out. Let my life be poured out, be invested a little while ago, I did this message at a River Islands campus, which is an outdoor campus, and I poured the water, and it went on the ground. And so it's an investment. The water goes into the ground, and it waters the plant, or the grass in that case, and it will give it the sustenance it needs to grow. So we're investing our lives. But here's what we, what we know. You cannot be poured out effectively. You can't invest your life to the highest level the greatest caliber if at first you aren't broken. Break me, God. So what does it mean to be broken? Well, two quick things. Number one, when when you're broken, you don't care what anybody thinks. This woman, she had this jar of perfume and she didn't care what anybody thought of her. These were, I mean, these, remember, the, the people that Jesus chose to be his disciples were ordinary dudes just normal guys, fishermen, even tax collectors, just normal people. But they had now been walking with Jesus for like three years. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the deaf here and the blind uh, see. They had seen the lame walk and the dead come back to life again. This woman knew that she was not just in the presence of Jesus, the rabbi, but this leper who was set free by Jesus, but she's also in the presence of these other guys who had kind of risen in respect in culture, in the, in the culture of Jesus followers of, wow, these guys have been with Jesus. There had to have been a little bit of intimidation maybe inside of her from the fleshly perspective. She didn't care what anybody thought. She had one singular focus, to express her love and adoration to Jesus Christ. I don't care what anybody thinks. When you get to that place, it's a great place when you're broken. The second thing I would say is when you're broken, you don't want what everybody else wants. When you're broken, you don't want what everybody else wants. It didn't matter to her how ridiculous it was that she broke the jar and that she poured it all out on Jesus. It didn't matter how irresponsible it seemed to the onlookers. $50,000. She was broken and it showed. Back in, back in 2001, when Dr. McManus was sitting at that table with me, um, I had no idea about it at the time, but I believe it. I believed it since, and I I stand by it with all of my heart today, this simple statement. Life's greatest blessings, or breakings, excuse me, often lead to God's greatest blessings. Uh, Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. I'd like to leave that up for just a minute, if you would, please, Marissa. God bless you. Thank you. At the time that Dr. McManus told me that God is going to break me, I had no idea what the significance of that was. I just wanted the attention to be off of me. When I look at the people in the Bible, Peter, wasn't he a tenacious one? Peter, it proves to be true in his life. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I'm not. Peter denies him three times. On the third time, he denied Jesus. And Jesus looks straight at Peter as Peter was denying him. And it says that Peter was broken. He wept bitterly. The brokenness had to come before, <laughs> before the poured out. Peter was the one that was used by God on the day of Pentecost. And he stood up courageously and boldly. did not deny God at this point stood up and told them about the power of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior that we have, that we have the opportunity to know him and walk with him in newness of life. And 3,000 people were birthed into the family of God that day. Those whom God God uses the greatest are often those who have been broken the deepest. Yeah, that that means you. And that, that means me. David understood it. This is what he said in Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: "Oh, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit; a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise." There's, there's something about this prayer, God. Break me. It could change. It could change you. It could change. It could change. Change me. It could change our future. Here's what I believe. A, you can either wait until life breaks you, and you look up in desperation, and you surrender, and you cry out, God help me, which is okay. It's okay to be there, we've all been there. I'm Probably gonna be there again. But if you have a choice, choose B. B is you can preemptively pray the very difficult prayer God break me and when he breaks you of your sin and your will and your stubbornness and your selfish ambition and your pride and your lust of the flesh or your fill in the blank then you will be filled with his presence of the Spirit of God and it will endue you with power so that you can be poured out there's somebody there's somebody here today or watching online you don't want to be broken in fact you'd rather be anywhere right now than in this room because you don't want to hear the message about break me god and i'm just going to remind you as i said at the beginning it's okay you can still be a follower of jesus if you don't pray this prayer but i will tell you this either you pray god break me or life will have a way of breaking you But there's some of you that I think could preach this message better than I can. Because right now, today, you're in the center of it. Seems to you like um, life is falling apart, it's crumbling around you. What I would say if you were in my office and we were talking, looking eyeball to eyeball, and you're like, I feel like my life is just falling apart. I feel like it's just, I'm, I'm just struggling at this point. All right. We're just going to take just a moment. Those of you that are watching online, we have kind of a medical thing happening. Let's keep the cameras focused up here, please. We're just going to pray right now. Would you pray with me? God, we pray right now for Danny. We ask that you touch this young woman. We ask God that you'd help her. Father, we pray that you would strengthen her. God, we pray that you'd just take this seizure away right now in Jesus' name. Ask God that you'd minister to her by your grace and by your power. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Breathe. Just breathe. In Jesus' name. Just breathe, just breathe.